So back, back in April, uh, I got a puppy. I got a uh, Wheaton Terrier. She's uh, very cute, um, seven months old. Her name is Bridie. Um, I guess about a month ago, I was over at uh, you know, one of the pet stores and I bought these, uh, I think they're like rawhide um, bones. Um, big mistake getting these, getting these things. I, uh, I gave one of them to her and I pretty much couldn't separate it from her. She just, uh, she became kind of consumed with it. She just wouldn't let go of this, this bone, like way, way too possessive. Um, couldn't get her attention. You know, I, I have like a, a store full of chew toys in here already. Uh, she's great with those and other treats she's, she's really fine with, but this was like, uh, this rawhide thing was just different. Um, remember the movie Cujo? Um, it's a little bit kind of, she, she became a little bit of a Cujo. She just, uh, she kept gnawing at this rawhide thing. So I, I threw the rest of them out. Um, I've got a uh, priest friend of mine who uh, shortly after, well, a few years after he was ordained, uh, he went back to study and he got another degree in scripture. Um, getting a scripture degree is a, is a pretty big deal because it's very time consuming. Uh, before you even really open the Bible to study it, Old Testament, New Testament, you got to go study and learn a couple of languages um, because the Bible over the, over the centuries was translated in, in different languages. So you got to learn Greek, you got to learn Hebrew, uh, even a little bit of Aramaic. Um, anyway, it's just a, an awful lot of work. I remember saying to him, like, this is crazy. What do you got to learn all these? Can't you just, you know, learn about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Like, what's with all the languages? And, well, they really do matter. Um, I didn't really know what I was talking about. Um, you know, think about it. Sometimes when uh, you, you read something and it's translated from another language and it's just not, you know, things do get lost in the translation. What one word means in, in one language can have a, really have a different meaning in another. So when you're talking about Jesus, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to mess that up. You want you want to be as accurate as we possibly can be. So know the languages, and you're going to have a better chance at that happening. So here's an example of this language thing in the gospel tonight. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing uh, it's all from uh, John's gospel, chapter six. It's all about the Eucharist. And he's talking about, it kind of began when he, when he uh, does the multiplication of the loaves, but then it just co continues. And he does this talk about, he's the bread of life. And in order to get to heaven, you kind of have to go through him. In order to get to heaven, you need to consume this bread of life. Um, like, literally, you need to consume it. Well, what we get in the gospel, so he's been saying that for a while to, these, to this group of people, disciples. So these are people that are on his side, they're on his team. And the gospel tonight says, um, they're just not, they're not understanding it. They're like, what's he talking about? What's this, eat my body, drink my blood? That sounds crazy. That's like, 
Who, who would say that? This just sounds kind of, almost kind of gross. Eat my body? Um, so the people literally say, this, is, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? And then he responds a little bit more. But the response is interesting. He kind of doubles down. The people start to walk away. And he doesn't say, oh, wait a minute, come on back. That's, you know, I didn't quite, I didn't mean that literally, eat my body, drink my blood. In fact, he says the opposite. This is where this translation thing kicks in. Originally, early on, he was just saying, eat, eat my body, eat this bread. But this time now, after the people are questioning him and doubting him and walking away, he uses a different word. He doesn't use the word eat. He uses some Greek word. I don't even know what it is. But the meaning of it is, it's a lot more than eat. It's like gnaw. It's like chew, kind of aggressively on this bread, on my body. A little bit like my puppy with the, uh, the rawhide thing, like she was intense. She was aggressive with this thing. Nobody was getting in the way of it. And he uses sort of that word or that image to say to the people like, no, this is exactly what I'm saying. This isn't a misunderstanding. You know, Jesus at times did speak in symbolic ways. You know, he would say things which weren't literally true. He'd said, I am the good shepherd. Well, that's not true. He wasn't a shepherd. He was a carpenter. But they knew that. They knew he wasn't speaking literally when he said, I am the good shepherd. You know, the vine and the branches. He's the vine, we're the branches. He's not a vine. The vine is a, it's a plant. Of course, that's symbolic. Nobody was, nobody was taking him literally saying, this is crazy. He's calling himself a vine. They knew that was symbolic. And they're presuming this bread talk, eat this bread, eat his body, they're kind of presuming, well, that's got to be symbolic too. This is when they start to complain because he's sounding kind of literal. And they go, enough, this is crazy talk. They start to leave and he, he steps it up. He uses even more compelling language to communicate the reality of this bread. It's like, I'm not being symbolic. I'm not being poetic. This isn't lyrics from a song. I'm telling you, that's what this is. This bread becomes me. And when you consume it, we become one. And that changes your life. And if you don't buy it, if you don't like it, and if you're going to walk away from it, like, that's a shame. But he allows it to happen. He didn't call them back when they weren't buying it. He let them go. And I look out here tonight, and I'm like, you know who you all are? You're the ones who stayed. Some people stayed. Not a lot. Most left. Because they couldn't buy They wouldn't buy it. But some stayed. I mean, you're here tonight. Yeah, we had a, we had a rainy day. Like you should have seen the numbers at the masses this morning. Like you would have thought, thought we had like an earthquake today, and that's why people weren't in mass. Like it was a rainy day, but people, I guess, kind of say, "Well, all right, you know, just it's going to be a little too too many puddles." 
It becomes like an excuse. You know what I think it's like? It's kind of like an immature faith. Like it's a get out of jail free card. I mean, people who, you know, some people, I don't even think it's a lot, but people who for the last six or seven months, because the church wasn't like requiring that we be at mass because of COVID, people kind of like, they rode that wave as long as they could. Like, well, we don't have to go, so, you know, let's, you know, if we will if we can, but if something else is going on, we won't. I mean, that's like kindergarten faith. And then you meet people who are like, oh, I'm common. Like, not even because I have to, because I know what it is. And I know what it does for me. And I know how I'm, I'm, I'm in a better place when I am in communion with the sacrament. I'm not, I'm not gonna cut this corner because it's not gonna come back to benefit me. We got this gospel and all this language talk to kind of, I guess, show evidence that he meant this. Like this was not, this Eucharist is real. It is true. It is not symbolic. But I also think, you know, there's, there's tons of other reasons to believe as well. Like I said, you're one of them. Looking at people who say, yeah, I, I know. It's kind of a crazy day, but we're coming. We're going to be here. I mean, think of people in your life whose example, whose commitment to the Eucharist, whose devotion to Mass just, like it was impossible not to inspire you. They just never missed because they got it. You get it. The people, the few that stayed in this gospel, they got it. Maybe it was your mother or your grandfather or whomever, and you just watched them. You, just, you, you could see how real this was to them, and it led you to, to get it. But there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons out there to believe. You know, there's a song um, Bruce Springsteen wrote back in, I guess, the 1980s. It's called Reason to Believe. Listen to this. He goes, Lord, won't you tell us? Tell us, what does it mean? At the end of every hard-earned day, people find some reason to believe. There's lots of reasons to believe in this. I mean, you got it, the primary source in this gospel tonight, but there's, there's so many other reasons that build up tonight's gospel. I was reading this article about uh, San Francisco recently, the homelessness situation in San Francisco, which has exploded. They, you know, they say it's out of control. Anyway, this um, social worker, Catholic social worker, she works for the church, was sort of being interviewed, and uh, she works with um, homeless kids in San Francisco. Actually, more specifically, she works with uh, homeless teenagers who are gay. It's like, I guess like there's this community within the homeless scene of uh, gay teenagers that have left home. So she ministers to them. She herself is gay. Her name is Kelly. Kelly Cutler. Um, she's also incredibly faithful. She loves the church. She's a convert. She became Catholic about a dozen years ago. Listen to what she says here. To be honest, 
I wasn't looking to become Catholic, but I had always longed for spiritual connection. It's a long, crazy story, but basically, I was drawn to the church very simply by the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. As you can imagine, the work I do can be extremely intense and draining. Holding on to hope can be a huge challenge when the harsh reality of suffering and death is part of your daily experience. This is why I make the Mass part of my daily experience. And that's where I find my hope and strength to be able to do this difficult work. As a convert, I have a ten tendency to ask a lot of questions. One question I've asked most gay Catholics that I've met is this. Why do you stay in the church? Think about it. They could go right down the street to another church community that has different teachings. So why do they stay? I get the same answer pretty much all the time. They stay because of the Eucharist. That's what draws them and keeps them. It's what gives them hope, the bread of life. Well, there's a reason to believe. I don't know if you heard about the uh, kind of an interesting, cool story about the Olympics uh, a couple of weeks ago in Japan. There was a um, an athlete from Poland who played in the Polish team. She was a, uh, in the javelin competition. She won silver medal, and she uh, she auctioned off her silver medal. She got, a, I think, $125,000 for it and then donated that money to this family who has an eight-month-old baby boy who needs this, like, emergency heart surgery. In fact, he was placed in hospice. This little guy was sort of dying. And the surgery can only be performed here in the States, and it's, I guess, enormously expensive. So she, uh, she sold the, the medal to help this family save their little boy. She had cancer herself a couple of years ago, and which was very sensitive to what this poor family was going through. This is what she said. The true value of a medal always remains in the heart. A medal is only an object, but it can be of great value to others. This silver can save lives instead of collecting dust in a closet. So that's why I auctioned it off to help this sick boy. There's a, 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 like a food chain store in Poland. It's like, sort of like, a, I think it's like a 7-Eleven, kind of a convenience store. Well, they bought the metal. They were the highest bidders. And then they gave it back to her. They said they were so inspired by her witness and her example. So this family got the money. This athlete got the, the medal that she earned. She talked in this interview about her parents, her Polish parents, her very Catholic Polish parents, and their love of the church 
and their absolute belief in the Eucharist and the power of the Eucharist and their commitment to it. But don't you think there's a connection to faith and actions, to the faith of this family and to this awesome selfless act? It's just another reason to believe. You know, my, uh, one of my nephews just went away to college uh, Friday for the first time. It's got me thinking about when I worked on the colleges. I was at over at Delphi and Hofstra and Stony Brook for a little bit. I was thinking about these kids that I used to know who would show up on a Sunday night for Mass on campus. It wasn't even a chapel. It would be some sort of generic meeting room. We'd set up an altar and they'd come for Mass. These great kids who are all now living in an environment which was like insanely secular, very kind of godless, like hostile toward what we're about, what we believe in, in so many ways. And they'd show up on this Sunday night, 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 of them, and they'd be fed And I don't think these kids were perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect. But they tried, and they stayed in the fight because they knew who they were, and they knew where they came from, and they knew it was true, and they didn't want to lose it. And somehow, instinctively, they knew that, yeah, this Eucharist is sort of the glue. It's the fuel. This is what's going to keep me true to who I want to be and to who I need to be. And I love those masses. I mean, they were just walking, talking reasons to believe. Those kids, that athlete, that social worker, I think they almost, they would gnaw at the Eucharist. A little bit like my obsessive puppy. Nobody was gonna mess with that. Nobody was gonna interfere because they know what it is. Lord, won't you tell us? Tell us what does it mean at the end of every hard-earned day, people find some reason to believe. So be somebody's reason to believe.